Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of the Holding Court podcast. We have a very special guest today. We'll chat with crew chief and paramedic with the LA County Fire Department, Michael Dubron. He'll share his path to his career after his service in the Air Force, what it's like for him when he gets that call, and how we can all feel better prepared for fire season. He's going to share his battle with cancer and how it led him to create a nonprofit. He'll say what he misses most about attending Dodger games, and we might have an idea for how we can fix it. All of this coming up right now on Holding Court. This is uncharted territory. I finally have run into an episode where my co-host is not in the house with me. So this is so different, but he just could not miss out on today's episode. Wanted to hop on the conversation with Mike today. So he is joining me, but he's over the phone and it is so strange that he's not sitting right across from me looking into my eyes. Isn't it? Justin? <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. I, I, I feel like the, the guest, the calling guest today. You are calling the calling from guest. The road. I know yeah. we're going to have our first three-way call on the, the pod. <laughs> what happened? How did, you, how did you handle the intro? Did you two do fine without me? I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, for you. I never really, you never really do the intro, but it was scary not having you watch me do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm the calming force. I'm like the, I'm, I'm, I help you like relax and breathe and, and get through these things. For you guys that don't know, like Courtney, Courtney gets a little anxious before every podcast and has to like kind of calm down. So today, today was probably tough for her to, to do that by herself. <laughs> yeah, I definitely deal with some anxiety going into every episode and I don't even know if it helps if it's someone that I know and I'm familiar with. Um, it's just something I'm trying to work through. So it definitely helps it to have you here. I think, of, I mean, eventually I'm going to have to do an episode without you. I imagine at some point it's not going to fit in with your rigorous schedule. But for now, I like having you here. And I know you wanted to get on this call definitely with Michael today Um Obviously Absolutely. everything he's doing is so cool with his foundation and obviously learning more about, you know, his career and fighting fires and, you know, we're coming up on that time, which I hate to say it, but it is that time in, in California and it's just going to be good to get some insight on him and be able to be better prepared, which helps people like me who are, I don't know, control freaks and warriors and need to know what to do and when everything is going to happen. And so hopefully Michael can give me a little peace of mind. Yeah. I'm excited to to talk to him, get him on board or get him on the podcast. Oh, he's and on board. I know he's on board, but <laughs> you know, to shine some light on him, I feel like, and, and to shine some light on the, his profession the firefighters and everything they do. I, I feel like, uh, obviously in, in California, um, especially coming up on this season, as you already mentioned, the uh, fire season, and we've already, you know, seen what's happening up in Northern California. You know, they are out there 
just grinding, man, and, and, and fighting these fires and saving lives and trying to protect people's houses and homes and property. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they get enough credit. So I, I'm glad we're having him on. I hope he, uh, I hope he, uh, you know, educates everyone a little bit and we'll see where this goes. All right, let's do it. Let's give Michael a call. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hey, good morning. I'm well. Thank you very much. What's going on, Mike? Thanks for coming on the on the podcast with us. This is awesome. Hey, well, thank you. Uh, thanks for taking time out and uh, allowing me to share a little bit about uh, so what I do and here in Los Angeles and, and serving the citizens of uh, Los Angeles County. But uh, it's, uh, it's an honor to be on here with you guys. This is why I love social media most of the time, because it allowed you and I to link up. And I think you reached out. You wanted to send me a little care package of some gear. Um, (laughs) And after that, I think we uh, ran into each other at a few games. So I just think it's so cool that that led to us, you know, sitting here talking today and giving you a chance to share a little bit about your story. So I think... Just starting off, um, when people think of firefighters, I think everyone, you know, Jess and I were just chatting. You think, you know, ring the bell, you know, slide down the pole, hop in the truck and and get going. (laughs) And I think, you know, grab the Dalmatian, what have you. But you obviously have such a unique and special role as a firefighter and a paramedic. If you want to share a little bit about that with us. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a great career and profession. Um, and I've been very blessed uh, to be in the role that I am. Um, working with Los Angeles County Fire Department for almost 30 years now, and I was very fortunate to get a position uh, within our air operations section, which for most of the folks listening, uh, see us flying in these helicopters and these wildfires or, you know, stranded hikers, those types of calls and things like that. So. I really don't work on a fire engine. I'm fortunate to work on a, uh, on a helicopter. Um, the department staffs three aircraft, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, uh, during the wildfire events, obviously we can upstaff that as well. The department owns an aircraft. So, uh, at times we can keep very busy, uh, flying our various missions 24 hours a day. Uh, that's amazing. And, and, so how do, how does that work for you as a as the the captain right and and the chief? Uh, how many pilots are are on call every day? You said it's twenty four hours a day. Uh, right. How many pilots do you have underneath you? So uh, I'm the crew chief paramedic on the aircraft. There's a crew of three of us, and there's a pilot, and then a crew chief paramedic, and a rescue paramedic on each aircraft. So at the, each day, like I said, that would mean three pilots, three crew chief paramedics. Um, and then uh, three rescue paramedics, but we can upstaff that, and we have obviously more folks assigned to the unit than that. Um, and then, of course, a, a family of maintenance staff that uh, they work on the aircraft because they are maintenance intensive, and uh, they keep us uh, flying uh, through uh, all kinds of events and uh, to support our mission. Um, the unique thing about that is is we can go anywhere in the county of Los Angeles pretty much from border to border within about 10 or 15 minutes uh, responding. And we set the aircraft uh, in jurisdictional areas to better respond to the high call volume areas. So, you know, Malibu in the north part of the county, the east part of the county. So we're uh, in a better position to respond to those emergencies. 
Uh, yeah, that's that's amazing. And you know, obviously, um, you know what you do is so important. And and you, you know, jumping jumping into life saving situations and decisions you make are so impactful. And, and split second of a time to to make those decisions. And what's it like? you know, when you're not on a call, like what's the preparation like for you guys? How, what's the procedures like? Are you constantly, um, you know, learning, uh, studying, going through drills? Is that something that never ends even when you're not working? Absolutely. Just like, uh, you know, you taking batting practice every day, we go out and practice, uh, every day too, to make sure our skills are refined. Um, and that the crews, uh, obviously, we all work seamlessly, uh, much like a team uh, in any sport or uh, any organization. Uh, we have to be very effective what we do because, um, you know, oftentimes we make decisions without even really communicating because we know what the other guy's going to do. Um, but communication is, is very critical, uh, especially when you look at some of the high-risk calls we respond to. As I mentioned, some of these wildfires, you know, you look back and uh, – you know, California obviously has uh, more than their fair share of fires going on right now. But you look back here the last couple of years, for instance, the Woolsey fire, uh, you know, it's, it's decision-making time, you know, on the go. And, um, you know, whether it's an aircraft performance issue, uh, whether it's a tactical issue on how we uh, abate the situation, um, it's, uh, it's pretty intense. And, um, you know, going out and training, um, and of course, being a paramedic, I have certifications and training that I have to keep up on, licenses, um, so forth like that. So uh, yeah, we keep busy even though when we're not responding, there's a, there's a list of things for us to do, and we try to maintain, uh, you know, some degree of rest uh, because flying that night mission, um, you know, we have to be prepared and uh, and be rested up, and so crew rest is important to us as well. And then on. I guess our side, you know, I'm from Indiana, so growing up, it was the tornado drills. So coming out to California, I definitely had a whole different world with earthquakes and wildfires and all of that. So I really had no clue how to prepare for any of that. And I think, I guess I, I don't know how much warning everyone really gets with something like this, but I guess for someone that feels a little better when they're a little more prepared, uh, what could, what could... Well, everyone know from yeah. you to, to feel a little better. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and much like a, a lot of things we deal with in life, I always try to promote being proactive is a heck of a lot better than being reactive. Um, so, for instance, when you're talking about the wildfires on the, the County of Los Angeles Fire Department's website, we have our Ready, Set, Go program. So everybody that we serve can go on the website and create a, uh, a plan of attack uh, should a wildfire impact you. Um, you know, ready, set, go ready means being uh, uh, having defensible space around your home and your property from fires and flying embers to set, um, having your family prepared to go if you do need to evacuate and then obviously go when it's time to evacuate. We want folks to evacuate then to allow the fire departments and first responders to get in there and do their job. Uh, it's an essential part of that mission. Um, but preparing for earthquakes, you know, having water in your house, um, you know, as silly as it may sound, when I go to bed at night, I have a pair of shoes next to my bed. If there is an earthquake, you get up and put your pair of shoes on. That way, if there's broken glass, 
you don't injure yourself in the evacuation process if you need to get out. Um, flashlights, supplies being prepared for two to three days uh, if, a, if a natural disaster should happen like that. And those are all the things that we respond to, um, you know, not only the fire department, but specifically in my unit. Uh, because when uh, units call for the helicopters, they usually have a problem on their hands, and it's our job to come in there and, uh, and deal with it. Yeah, I, that, that's awesome. I like that, especially the shoes by the bed part. Courtney rags on me all the time because I wear shoes in the house and I, I just don't want to step on stuff on the floor. So uh, especially in the time of an earthquake and glasses breaking and whatnot, that makes so, that makes so much sense. So I'm wearing, I'm wearing shoes. I'm keeping shoes, Court, by the bed. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you like it or not. If you well, were... well, you have your inside. I'm, I'm the same way, Justin. Uh, I have a pair of inside shoes that I only wear in the house. So, uh, so I uh, okay. take care of my floors. But, okay, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll make that adjustment then. There you go. And, it, and again, it's all about being proactive. You know, it, exactly. it, it's infinitely better than being reactive. Yeah, yeah, I think, of course. you know, watching the news through everything, you always see the people that just don't want to evacuate and they want to just kind of stay there. And I know watching that, it's, I mean, I I can understand wanting to stay and not leave, but that's just hard for us to watch. I think you just see the people that are just clinging to their houses and, you know, everything's happening around them and it's just heartbreaking to see. It, it is. It truly is. Um, you know, we have a job to do and, um, you know, everybody's home is, is their castle and nobody wants to leave it. Uh, but when it's time to go, we really do need you to go because you can really, um, create more of a problem if you become a victim. Now we have to stop what we're doing and, and render aid to you because you didn't go. Um, you know, it, it can be a big hassle. And oftentimes from the air, uh, you know, I can look down and see people evacuating in fire trucks uh, and first responders trying to get into those neighborhoods and those communities. And it's a traffic jam. And uh, they're impacting the ability of us to do our job. So, you know, again, I encourage folks to, to go out there um, and visit with their local fire departments and, and understand what's needed of them. If they have a question with specifically about wildfires, about defensible space around their home, go to their local fire station and ask questions. Communicate. Communication is king. Yeah, I'm a big rule follower, so I feel like if we are ever in that situation, I would probably be one of the first ones to go. And I'm going to get my shoes. I'm going to get my Costco packs of water and have them ready because yeah like I said I just I definitely feel better if I'm prepared because there's obviously so much that we can't control and so being able to control what we can you know as much as possible I think just puts my mind at ease a little bit more right absolutely a good great uh, great sentiments to share with everybody um you know can't can't uh, push that hard enough so how do you Oh, there you go. Sorry. <laughs> when you're when you're in the air, you're and you're fighting fires. Obviously, um, you know you see the videos of the helicopters dumping water. How how much of that portion of it is you guys having an aerial view and understanding, you know, how the fire is moving, how the fire is spreading, and kind of relaying that information down to you know the guys on the ground who are who are fighting the fire. Is that a, is that a big part of what you guys do too, or yeah? Absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. Um, so yeah, from our vantage point, obviously if it's a wind driven fire, we can see, uh, from our 
you know, perspective, what are going to be the primary focuses, not only, you know, immediately, but long-term, uh, what the fire is going to be doing. And we direct the command staff on the ground as to what we feel uh, is going to be their priority. And then we can look ahead and, you know, project what the fire is going to do and where they may need strike teams of engine companies to, uh, to uh, certain neighborhoods to protect those homes. But yeah, our vantage point is, is, is a great part of the, uh, the command structure making their decisions on how they should direct their resources. So yeah, we, we really can see, uh, see it all. And oftentimes you'll get, uh, you know, companies on the ground, um, you know, at requesting water drops. And surely we, we try to accommodate them, but we have to triage those requests as well because they might not see what we're seeing. And obviously our priorities are human lives, people's property, their homes, businesses, whatever it may be in the environment. So we have to, you know, obviously save lives first is the priority and then people's houses. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, the decisions are all made very quickly uh, during, um, you know, difficult and stressful situations. So if I pass out on my hike at Fryman Canyon, I'm probably pretty low on the totem pole of getting rescued out of there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, that's the big thing is being prepared. Um, you know, we never like to go uh, and have to rescue people like that, but um, obviously we're prepared. We do it quite often, uh, day or night. Um, some of the more challenging ones are the more advanced hikers that say, for instance, might go up to the Mount Baldy region or, you know, in some of those really remote areas, uh, you know, go up there at two o'clock in the morning and have to, to send a rescue paramedic down uh, via what we call a rescue hoist. So we can lower a rescue paramedic 300 feet below the aircraft while we're hovering above them and uh, extract them, whether they're ambulatory or if they're injured, we can package them up and, and take them directly to a hospital. Yeah, that's that's always scary when when they see the videos of you guys rescuing hikers or or you know having to go on the side of the mountains and lift people out of there. That's 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 never uh, you know good to see. But uh, yeah. I did have another question about what's going on up north. There's obviously these fires, massive fires. Uh, you know, talking about you know historically some of the biggest fires ever in the state of California and. You know, I've heard on a on a couple outlets uh, there's been talks that it might take uh, till October to fully get put out some of these fires. What when you're looking at a situation like that, or or the fires that we had in LA last year, where it's such a big, huge, impactful, like what's how's the mindset for you guys as firefighters, knowing it's such a huge task and you're climbing such an uphill battle and just trying to figure out ways to contain it. Like how do you guys mentally check in every single day for such long hours and just continue to go after these things? Right. So, you know, it, yeah, very unfortunate with what's going on. Uh, Mother nature, a lot of times really uh, plays a key role in what's happening. And with the lightning fires that had up in the lightning complex up north, uh, you know, obviously the conditions being dry. And then if we get a wind event, which of course down here in Southern California is, is our big issue, um, you know, staying mentally prepared uh, and rested to do this job is, um, is a key concept. And, uh, you know, for us in the aircraft, um, we fly a 24 hour mission. But when we start talking about whether it's a natural disaster, uh, you know, wildland fire, 
uh, then we start breaking up the shifts because we're flying so much. So we pretty much break it up to a daytime crew and a nighttime crew. So the guys will go out and fly a nighttime mission uh, on the fires uh, or doing whatever it is the the uh, the, uh, the call is. And then we'll come back. Maintenance will usually get the aircraft for a little bit. And then a daytime crew will go out and fly the daytime mission. So, again, it's, it's, it's a real comprehensive approach when you look at these things and the logistics involved. I mean, the media might show, you know, coverage of the firefighters uh, in their engine companies or us in the helicopters. But when you look at the logistics of supporting all that, the maintenance and the, and the, and the staff that's involved, to make all this happen, it's, it's quite a comprehensive package that gets put together, and they have teams that are specifically designed to go up and handle larger incidents like the Lightning Complex. They put a state team together from resources from various departments throughout the state of California and even outside the state of California where these folks come in, they're trained, they're experienced, and they come in as a team, and they battle these incidents. It makes me feel so much better knowing, you know, everything that goes into it and knowing, you know, how prepared you all are to, you know, battle these and keep everyone safe. And I have to ask, you know, how does someone get into this role? Obviously, um, you, you do have a military background, but I feel like this is just such a special career. And obviously, I think there might be like a hint of like maybe adrenaline junkie in you to be able to do this, but you know, how do you end up, you know, going through this path and ending up in this career? Well, um, you know, for me, uh, I, I was born and raised in Southern California. And then, um, ironically, my parents moved up to Oregon and I lived in Oregon for a few years, uh, in high school. And my best friend's father up there was a, uh, was a firefighter. And that's what, introduced me into the fire service and um you know i just fell in love with it i you know i guess as a, as a kid you're that that adrenaline seeking individual um you like the excitement of it and you like the you like what you did um you know going out there and helping somebody uh you know in a situation um is very rewarding i mean yeah we get paid but the reward is you know, whether it's saving somebody's life or, you know, abating a, not uh, putting a fire out, whatever it may be. Um, but that's where I got the, the uh, kind of the, uh, the thirst for it. Um, I ended up going into the Air Force as a firefighter in the Air Force and was uh, uh, incredible four years. I spent a couple years over in Spain um, and then uh, came back to Southern California, Edwards Air Force Base, uh, and served as a firefighter there before I ended up getting hired by Los Angeles County Fire. But for any for any young um, Angelino or any, any kid that wants to, to get into a career that is very rewarding, that goes out and helps the community and, and, and be a leader in your community, I mean, not only just responding to emergencies, but we also go out there and, you know, and have community projects, cert programs where uh, civilians can get involved with, with assisting us, um, you know, great programs and great interaction with your community. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, really cool. And, you know, one of the things uh, I love about your story is, you know, you, you're not only fighting fire, fires, uh, you also have fought cancer and beat cancer. And it's something that you kind of turned into a positive thing and started a, a nonprofit. You want to talk a little bit about 
that and your battle and what you went through and, and now what you're doing to uh, turn it into a positive thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, um, back in 2003, I was, uh, you can do the math and figure out how old I am now, but I was 39 back then. And um, I was having some issues. Um, and, and the bottom line was also becoming very fatigued. So uh, I really found myself kind of getting sick, but I didn't, you know, typical deal. You just were in denial that it was anything. I was healthy. I thought I was healthy. Um, and then I ended up finally being diagnosed with colorectal cancer. And, um, you know, I was met with shock and, you know, absolute disbelief. Um, here, you know, we just talked about my career in responding to all these emergencies. And so kind of along the lines of that, it's kind of being like a little bit of a control freak too. I mean, you know, we're, we kind of feel like we're in control responding to these type of calls. But now I found myself being diagnosed with cancer like I had absolutely zero control. And uh, my initial diagnosis was stage four. Um, I had the primary mass, and then uh, I had some lymph nodes in a spot on my liver. So at the time, they gave me uh, one to three years survival. And, uh, you know, I talk about a gut punch. Um, wow. You know, er everything flashed before me. I mean, I, I remember sitting in the doctor's office when they, they told me those words that I had one to three years and my, you know, my two young daughters at the time, I'm thinking to myself, well, that's great. I've got three Christmases to go with my kids. And, uh, it, uh, wow. it's tough. tough. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was really fortunate that, um, you know, I ended up over at USC Norris, um, found a surgeon over there. It was just an incredible human being. One of my, uh, one of my true heroes. And, uh, you know, Dr. Beard had performed the surgery on me. And fortunate for me, the spot on my liver was not cancerous. And the lymph nodes that, uh, that lit up during the ultrasound were not cancerous as well. So I ended up being a stage one and uh, ended up in complete recovery. Uh, and, you know, thank God that, that, you know, I'm still here today, what, 17 years later. Um, but as a result of my cancer, um, I really uh, started doing some research uh, um, about cancer amongst the fire service and firefighters. And at the time, there was very little being done. We really didn't talk about cancer. Uh, but when I did some research and looked into it, I was finding out, you know what? There's a lot of firefighters that are being diagnosed and dying of cancer. And it's all a result of, when you think about it, um, you know, all the carcinogens that we're exposed to either through absorption, inhalation, or ingestion. And even though you wear the protective equipment, there's still a fair amount of exposure or even just a diesel exhaust, say the fire engine, standard, a regular firefighter in station working on a fire engine, the diesel exhaust is a carcinogen. And so I thought to myself, well, let's, let's put an organization together. Let's do something. And, and originally the idea was just to be from my department here in Los Angeles County. And, you know, let's put a database, say, of firefighters that are cancer survivors that are able to go out and help other firefighters that are newly diagnosed and be able to, you know, kind of get them focused and, and, um, and consume. I always call it cancer as a pie. And you can only consume one slice at a time. And uh, so the organization was founded uh, to assist firefighters that are diagnosed with cancer and specifically 
within that fire service family. I mean, I didn't want to really talk to anybody about my cancer when I was diagnosed, but I could talk to another firefighter because it's a family. We're, you know, whether it's a firefighter here in California or Florida, doesn't matter. We're, we're all unique and, and kind of in a brotherhood and a family. But anyways, the organization then blossomed into, you know, educating firefighters on how, again, I mentioned it, proactive, how we can be proactive about cancer in the fire service. And uh, the organization just snowballed into being endorsed by labor and management within the fire service, uh, spread across the country and around the world to educate firefighters about how we can happily um, change what we do and, you know, the importance of wellness exams, maintaining your PPEs. We hear about PPEs with COVID these days, with PPEs for for firefighters in our incidents that we respond to. Um, and understanding, too, for everybody, even even all of our listeners, about family history. How many people actually go out there and talk about the family history of cancer? And if you have a family history, again, be proactive and go see your health care provider and say, hey, look, you know, my family members have this type of cancer. What should I be doing? And I'll give you a quick example is me being diagnosed with colorectal cancer at age 39. That means my children will have to be aggressively checked at age 29. So we can be proactive about these things, but we just have to go out there and talk about it. Yeah, I, wow. It's, I guess you don't want to think of a situation, you know, as horrific as getting cancer as, you know, I, I don't know, I guess, Obviously, this led you to helping so many other people. And so I don't know if that makes it any better or it makes you feel like, you know, when people say, oh, everything happens for a reason, obviously to lead you to this, to create your nonprofit and this network to get this conversation going and um, get people, you know, the information that they need and the assistance and education. So, yeah. Yeah, it's important because, You know, it's one of those things, you know, whether just preparing for a baseball game or a mechanic preparing to, you know, work on a car, whatever, whatever career field you're in, um, nobody ever takes time out to go to cancer 101, whether you go, whether it's in school, high school or college or wherever you may be professionally, nobody ever says, hey, let's take a course on being prepared to sit down in a doctor's office and hear the word, you have cancer. So when you get it, it's usually a surprise and it's pretty devastating. And, um, you know, if you can, if you know, there's organizations specifically that you can reach out to and there's great organizations at all the, you know, most of the cancer hospitals have support groups, you know, obviously our foundation, um, you know, the American cancer society does great work. Um, all these organizations that you can reach out to and be able to connect with somebody that's been there and done that and regain your focus Uh, on on what you should do and where you should go. And I think there's probably, I I guess there's, you know, a a toughness with firefighters and, you know, to obviously admit that you need assistance with something is probably, you know, somewhat difficult for people, would you say? Yeah, it it is. It is very difficult. And again, I I, kind of touched on a little bit, but, you know, for us being those control freaks and abating everybody else's problems, and now hearing the words that, you know, you have a problem. And I remember calling, you know, whether it was my, uh, you know, the leadership folks in my unit 
uh, or other coworkers that everybody, you know, when I told them, I call them up and say, Hey, I got diagnosed with cancer and everybody was, the answer was always the same. Well, let me know if you need anything. And at the time I didn't know what I needed. Mm -hmm. So being able to, you know, to reach out and talk to somebody that's been there and done that, that's a huge resource. Absolutely huge. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think, you know, on both sides there, you know, you don't know as a friend, you want to be there for you and support you and offer assistance, but you don't really know what to do or how to help. And, and the same thing goes on your end, you know, you, I, right. I appreciate the support, but like, you know, I don't even know what I need right now. So that's just, it's, that's yeah. uh, difficult to wrap your mind around. And like you said, uh, everyone who hears those words for the first time, it's, it's obviously a surprise and there's no way to prepare for it. There's no, there's no way to learn how to deal with it or cope with it. Um, you know, you just got to do your best to stay positive and, and educate yourself and learn and, and do what you can to, um, you know, fight it and stand up to it. And, and obviously you did that and turned it into such a great organization, which is, which is so amazing. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's been a, it's been a rewarding uh, rewarding um, organization to, to build, uh, founding the organization. I mean, it was all, it's all an education. Uh, when I started, I knew nothing about starting a nonprofit and, uh, and making it grow. And there are a ton of volunteers out there uh, that assist the organization and make it what it is today. That's phenomenal. So, so cool. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about some, some of the fun stuff you get to do. Uh, you know, I've, Got to watch you from from a couple fields do flyovers for some events. Uh, the California Strong Softball game. Uh, I believe you've flown over Dodger Stadium as well. So, uh, what what is it like to get those calls and set up those events and and kind of you know get to do that? And then you know you go and land the helicopter and jump in a car and you drive back over and then come on the field and and hang out. Like that's that's got to be a pretty fun day for you, right? It is. It's a, it's a, it's a real reward for us. Um, we're proud of what we do. We're proud of the machines that we fly, um, and the mission that we, that we have. Um, and for us to be able to go out there and share that with, with folks, because normally, you know, folks don't get a chance to see, you know, up close and personal. Uh, and, and we're proud of what we do. We're very proud of it. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a big kick for us to go out there and do those flyovers and, uh, and to be able to share with the people that we serve. I mean, that's the, that's the folks that are we're serving to share with them a little bit of the inside of what we do. And it's, uh, it's very rewarding for us. And, uh, you know, we're, we're glad to do it. And um, we're glad to support those events uh, and be a part because we are a part of the community. Yeah. And I think for me, the California Strong One was, was so impactful and meaningful because, uh, you know, all the fires that had taken place, we held the softball game in Pepperdine out in, Malibu and everything that was going on and it, it was just cool and I, I believe you landed the helicopter on the on the university lawn not too far away right and and yeah that's uh, correct you know people who were there could actually you know kind of get a close-up look at at, at your crowd your, your machine you know your <laughs> at your at your helicopter so that one was was really cool for me the timing of everything just made so much sense and I'm glad uh, I'm glad you were able to do that yeah, we're, you know, it's, you know, like I said, it's, you know, we're glad to support those organizations out there that are giving back. And I think at the time of that one, um, I think our community needed some healing. 
Uh, and it was nice to bond together and bring everybody back to center again. And, uh, and like I said uh, before, regain that focus. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a great event. And, you know, much like what you do in the, uh, in your foundation, Justin, um, and Courtney, both of you, um, hats off to you for what you do because you don't have to do it. Um, you know, with your golf event and your donations, you know, whether it's, you know, the Christmas event, giving away toys and bikes to kids, uh, you know, your meals that you've delivered, your COVID relief, everything that you guys do, um, really says a, a lot about both of you and who you are. And, and if we can, I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, you know, kind of about you, Justin, for a second, if I can pick your brain or share a thought about you uh, and your foundation. I think absolutely one of the one of the things as a season seat holder for the Dodgers and getting to go to the game, um, and I hope you take it to heart, is that regardless of how many hits you have in your career and the RBIs and the awards and so forth like that, I think that one of the, the things that really um, I admire the most about you is every game um, when the Dodgers salute a military hero from the game, you take the time to go over there uh, and, and shake the hand and give a baseball to that military hero of the game. And you can tell it's a sincere gesture. And, and I really applaud you on behalf of all the veterans um, for what you do. Uh, and, and those gestures mean a lot. And it says a lot about who you are as a man. And I really, I, I really honor you for that. And I think it's the most important thing that, uh, that I think characterizes who you are. Oh, I appreciate that. And, uh, it is something that I don't take lightly and I do appreciate, uh, not only your service, uh, in the Air Force, but all the men and women who, uh, you know, put their lives on the line and fight for our freedoms and protect our, our, our country and, um, you know, walking over, shaking their hand, giving them a, a baseball and thanking them for their service is the least I can do. And, you know, a lot of people ask about this season, this 2020 season and how is it and the weirdness of it. And honestly, like the, one of the biggest shortcomings of this season is not being able to, to recognize those men and women, those military heroes, every game that we go out there. Uh, it's something that's definitely missing, something that I noticed. And, yeah. you know, I wish there was a way, uh, you know, through this season that we, we could still recognize all right. you guys for, for everything you do for us. So, um, you know, hopefully we get back and, and we get fans back in and we, and we can get back to doing it and recognizing everyone because every single, every single service man and woman deserves to be recognized and thanked for, for everything that they do. Yeah, absolutely. And the time they spend away from their families, uh, whether it's on deployments or assignments, uh, you know, is a sacrifice. It truly is. Uh, and, and unfortunately for those that don't get to come home, um, you know, that's, uh, that's the ultimate sacrifice, but, you know, perhaps, I don't know, maybe there's a way, I know we're getting uh, with this short season, we're getting almost towards the end of it. If the Dodgers, maybe we can put together something where we can do it virtually, uh, where they can have veterans, uh, you know, reach out and, and, uh, maybe, uh, with some sponsorship, get a acknowledgement, just a quick blip, uh, during the televised games, um, Joe and Oral can perhaps, uh, help us, uh, recognize that military hero in each game still virtually. I love this idea. And it's actually one of the things that I miss the most. Um, I think it's probably the thing that people bring up the most to me at games. They always say, Oh, do you look down there and see Justin? It's my favorite part. They're doing, you know, a virtual fan of the game. And 
I'm going to get this conversation going with the Dodgers and see if we can't put together something. I think it would be pretty simple for them to find a moment to, you know, read a bio and acknowledge someone in the military and, and show their photo, maybe even have some of them join, you know, via Zoom or something like that. So I like this, Michael. I'm going to get this conversation going. And if not, we can always figure out something to do, you know, on our social media and our platform to recognize someone, you know, before every game, if you're on board with that, Justin, <laughs> just threw your oh, hat yeah, into I think, that. I think even, even, uh, you know, reaching out and, and, you know, getting messages from, from men or women overseas right now who, uh, are probably, you know, finding ways to tune in and watch games and, uh, root on their teams. I, th- I, th- I think, you know, there's so many ways we can do it and, and they should put it up on the, on the Jumbotron, uh, a video yeah. of the green uh, video. Yeah, just saying, you know, their name, their rank, uh, their branch, where they're from, and and a go Dodgers. I, I think that would be awesome, and it's something that, you know, uh, again, it's it's a small gesture, but I think the small gestures go the furthest uh, in impacting people. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great idea. You know, they have a little video message from a from a service member, maybe serving abroad. Um, you know, reaching out and, and doctor organization has always done things the right way. Uh, you know, Mr. Kasten and Mr. Rosen uh, are always, um, they're always open to, you know, things like that and doing the right thing. So hopefully that'll uh, slow the contraction and go move forward. I agree. I'm going to call Mr. Rosen after this and see what we can do. So be ready for my call, Lon. <laughs> I love this idea, Michael. Thank you so much for your time and sharing everything your story and your career and your nonprofit with us. I want to give everyone the website firefightercancersupport.org. If they want to check it out, Um, they offer assistance and education to firefighters about the risk of cancer. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. I'm just so appreciative of all the information that you were able to share with everyone. And again, thank you for your service. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's a, it's a real honor and, uh, you know, as a, as a Dodger fan and a lifelong Dodger fan, um, I mean, we, even when I lived in Oregon, I mentioned living up there as a kid and a high schooler, uh, I could actually sit in the kitchen uh, in my house in Oregon with a transistor radio and hear Vince Scully <laughs> at night uh, broadcasting the Dodger games. So, uh, you know, a long, lifelong Dodger fan, it, it's an honor for me to be a part of this. Absolutely. We, we loved having you. And again, like Court said, uh, it was, it was educational for us and we appreciate the information. We'd love, uh, you know, you sharing your story and everything that you're doing and impacting, uh, not only our community in Los Angeles, but, you know, firefighters, firefighters all over the country. And, um, you know, we just want to salute you and, and, and again, thank you for your time today. And hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you back out at a Dodger game this season sometime. That would be great. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Michael. All right, Michael. That was so informative, and I absolutely love what he's doing with his nonprofit and assisting others. Just, yeah, that was just a good, it was a good episode. I feel like everyone's going to walk away just feeling a little more knowledgeable on on everything. A hundred percent. I that was That was very educational. I almost felt like that was, you know, back in school and on a field trip to a fire station and just hearing all the different things that go into it and 
you know, he, he's so right. I think, uh, it's, it's something that's overlooked. Uh, you know, everyone has a fire department in the community. Um, you know, the, the guys are all great. We've stopped into some firehouses and, and had some conversations with some guys and, and, you know, they welcome the company and they love showing off, uh, you know, their, their workplace and what they do. So stop on by, go see them, ask the questions, just be prepared, get ahead of it. And, um, I will be having two pairs of shoes, the indoor shoe and, a, and an outdoor shoe now because, uh, <laughs> Michael kind of, kind of lectured me on that one. Okay. But that was the whole point was the indoor shoe. Like we need to, like you need to either put booties on your shoes when you get in the house or. I'm not putting booties on my shoe, <laughs> but I will have an indoor shoe from now on. <laughs> no booties, <laughs> no booties on the shoe. No booties on the shoe, but okay. no, that was, that was awesome of Michael to come on and share his whole story and. It's just crazy, you know, we've we've had so many guests that have come on and that have been presented with situations in their lives that, you know, could easily be, um, you know, go negatively and, and be looked at as a, a negative thing. And, and uh, you know, it seems like everyone we talk to has made the choice to, you know, keep their head up and, and battle through it and, and turn it into a positive. And I'm, I know there's so many stories out there of people doing the same. Uh, it's just great to continue to talk to people who, you know, are, are leaving such a positive impact after, you know, hearing de- devastating news, really. Yeah. I know you mentioned the trip to, like, you felt like you were on a field trip. And do you remember when we went to the fire department right by Dodger Stadium at Mohawk Bend and they let yep. us put on the gear and the gear alone yep. was... 400 pounds <laughs> i think it was yeah, after the dream center you have that picture don't you yeah the dream center 24-hour day of service so i think we are yep. i think we were oh over we by the taco truck yeah and the, the laundromat truck. yeah and the laundromat yeah and then yeah. we stopped in there they have the jerseys up on the wall and they're big dodger fans in there every time i drive yep. by i love to look in and see the dodger jerseys up on the wall but yeah they wow just the gear alone i was standing there was difficult so I can't even imagine it's what it's definitely heavy. the rest of their job entails. You know, the one thing I wanted to ask him that I didn't ask him though. What's that? Do you ever hear that? Like the, <laughs> the Kardashians have a private fire department if there's fires. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that. And I can't believe you didn't ask him. <laughs> I, might, I might have to text him and just ask him because I'm curious I heard that, that during the fires, this, these celebrities have, I don't know, someone like on speed, like Chris Jenner just calls up the fire department. <laughs> I don't know why we would have, we, so would hard, had groundbreaking, we would have had groundbreaking information there if you would ask that question. I know. I, that's so weird to think about because I guess a private fire department that would be on call for, I guess, maybe just fire season. I don't know. I guess maybe ever. That seems like they it would be a lot of waiting around for fire season, but I don't know. I'm going to ask Michael. That just seems silly because we all, there's a fire department in every city and they're, they're there to protect all of us. And if we have an incident, we can call the fire department and say something's happening and they can come to where we are. Yeah, I guess. So we all have a fire department. 
I know. I guess it's similar to like if you live in like maybe a gated community and you have like private security, but I just feel like a private fire department or private firefighters is another. I mean, you want to talk about like the pinnacle of wealth, like that's it. I think that's a tall tale. I think that people are making that up. We'll see if Michael will debunk this myth about it. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, yeah. Thanks again to Mike for coming on sharing everything get your shoes by the bed get your kirkland waters and everyone batteries i have so many flashlights because i am a neighborhood walker at night i've got my flashlights my strobe lights my all kinds of lights even moon has a little flashlight for her collar if she walks at night (laughs) a little charm a little strobe charm So we're ready. But yeah, thanks again for sharing so much information with us. And I'm going to see what I can do on this military hero of the game for the rest of the season. I'm going to work on something. Oh, yeah. Get on. Get on Uncle Lon. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right. I'm going to let you get going and head to the field. I'm just counting down the days until you're back home. I just got to say, it's not the same. It doesn't hit the same doing this over the phone. (laughs) I know. That's why it's so sad with everything going on that we can't do in-person interviews because I feel like that's the part I'm looking forward to so much. And yeah, one day, one day, one day. One day. All right. I will. All right. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Of course. Thanks for joining (laughs) us today. We have a fun guest for next week. I'm really excited. I feel like I'm, um, um, I don't know. I don't, I'm excited. Yeah. Maybe I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, wait, do I know? Maybe. I don't know. I'm going to think about this now. I won't well, spoil it. I got to make sure they yeah, actually I, show up. Well, they call in. <laughs> you never know. I started start listening to our conversation. And <laughs> apparently I missed this one. Oh man. All right. Thanks everyone. That's going to do it for this week. And make sure you are rating us because some little treasure troll went on there and gave me a one star and it just spoiled my week. So if you find Wait, it this week, <laughs> this week, you got a one star. Uh, it was I think it was last week, but oh, wow. it doesn't matter. The point is <laughs> they really messed it up there. Now there's a little dot next to the one and like all these well, beautiful five stars. That- Whoever that was obviously doesn't listen to the podcast because you told everyone if you're going to rate, only give five stars. If you're not going to do five, then please don't leave a rating. Here's here's my thing. If you're going to leave a bad review, at least leave the bad review and tell me what you don't enjoy. If not, I'm just going to assume you were a little treasure troll that was passing through. Just hitting the one stars. Wow. Just ruining ruining people's days by hitting one star. It did kind of rock my world. But no, it's fine. I'm over it. Am I? I don't know. No, definitely not. (laughs) You'll hold on to it for the rest of your life. (laughs) I'm going to bring it up every week. All right. (laughs) That's going to do it. We will talk to you all next week. See you guys.